Hi everybody, Drew here. I just wanted to let everybody know before this episode started that it's going to be a little bit of a change of tone and pace. Uh, Flocky is taking over storytelling and you will see my character, uh, Morgan Treadway, the Cerulean Sentinel. This first episode of this new story arc is going to be uh, a bit of me talking about the mechanics of Morgan as a character and who he is, some backstory and everything. So if you listen to the intro, uh, it may be a little redundant, but it's a little more fleshed out uh, than that original intro. Uh, it's really cool. Um, Flocky's got a different storytelling style than I do. Uh, we've got some political intrigue going on and everything. Uh, we're going to post some uh, specifics, uh, some more character sheets, some more short stories on our Facebook page. So, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, enjoy. Also got some new uh, intro music. Morgan Treadway was born in Stringersburg in the sink. Uh, at the time, you know, there was only a couple inches of water in the in the streets. But as he's grown up, it's it's gotten worse and worse. You know, some, you know, some people's entire first floor is just completely not not completely flooded, but it's it's up a couple feet. Uh, a single dad raised him. His mom skipped out when he was one and uh, his dad you know worked full-time on factories and and whatnot so he raised himself a lot you know neighbors watched over him and as he grew up he was ridiculed and ostracized by other kids because he had a really strong moral compass you know he it, it wasn't like this big justice thing but he um you know, he didn't lie or steal like a lot of the other kids. Maybe the sink's not the roughest part of Stringersburg. It might be, but it's definitely the shittiest. Um, and from his viewpoint, even as a kid, that was if everybody came together, then they could make the sink a better place than if they, you know, fought and... Um, did drugs and drank and everything. And I mean, he's done drugs and everything, but he's never run them. But as he started to grow up when, when he was probably a young teenager or something, he made a, a code to live by. And that was, um, you know, fair fights are best, but some people just need to be cold cocked. Uh, you know, live as honorably as you can. Uh, if you can help someone out, do it and the one that is most important to him is it's better to trust and regret than doubt and regret and you know life in the sink he's not naive but he still held on to his optimism and because of this he's he's had few friends but he's been pretty close to him 
and he did he got a lot of fights uh, like i said because he wouldn't run drugs or steal or fold under pressure when you know groups of kids from his high school or middle school all tried to uh you know, get him to, to do certain things. So he got a job cleaning a local gym when he was 13 so he could get lessons, and that started his love of martial arts. And he started working odd jobs on top of multiple part-time jobs to to save up money so he could get martial arts classes, you know, to pay for his cab fare, to for um, not necessarily the nice parts of Stringersburg, but you know, to to drive out of the sink and and to go or ride the bus, I should say, probably not cabs. Um, but inevitably, no matter how much he saved up, after a few months of lessons, he would he would have to quit the school because he would have to help uh, his dad uh, make ends meet and. He did. He, he barely just graduated uh, from high school. Uh, the Sh- Stringersburg High School, the the local one, was the Mud Skippers. That was by the sink that all the kids went to. But right after he, actually, probably his his last year, or maybe his junior year, when he was eighteen, his uh, his dad died, and he uh, moved in with his friends. Um, and he, he, you know, he felt like he needed to pay them some rent. But to, to fill in the gap, he would go to the local library and watch uh, instructional martial arts films or uh, gymnastics or anything that piqued his interest. And he would make detailed notes. He probably has multiple notebooks on different fighting styles. And, um, you know, he, he, he grew up admiring all these heroes and he wanted more than anything to become one and he knew that he wouldn't be able to be a tech hero because he didn't have the smarts for it or the the money and he you know he doubted he could be one of these skilled heroes just because you know life constantly got in the way you know he couldn't get the the practice in that he needed and so he was banking on becoming a meta he hoped that all this rigorous training that he was going through because he would run to his jobs and you know he not work out but push-ups and sit-ups and everything constantly because he couldn't afford to to go to a, a proper gym but his his meta powers just never manifested but he was training early one morning in one of his his local derelict warehouses right outside of the the sink um, where the water hadn't quite come in yet. And uh, one one thing I have kind of a mental image of of the sink is um, kind of like the far northerners in Exalted, where they had second levels when it snowed like crazy so they could get around on the surface. Uh, kind of seeing this as the same thing, like people are starting to build like shitty walkways with wood and metal and everything that they find. So they're not constantly sloshing around in water. So everything's slowly starting to get built up, like uh, kind of like Chattanooga, like the first levels of all these places are becoming obsolete because this water's all coming in. I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, Chattanooga's got all these weird, like, buried first floors where 
bunch of the places started to sink and everything. So they just moved everything up a story and then made the roads that high. That's kind of how I see this happening, except the city hasn't, you know, made the roads. So people are making the sidewalks and building them up or building these small bridges um, from building to building. Um, but anyway, he was at this this warehouse, this, this derelict building, which I actually think uh, the building makes a bit more sense than a warehouse, but... You know, he's, he's going through a, a tumbling routine that he's tried to make, and he's not the best gymnast. Like, he can't do triple backflips or anything. But he over-rotates and, and lands on his back and busts through this wood floor and into this small uh, room. And it's, it's dark and it's dingy. And the only thing in it is this wood and leather chest which uh, he landed just enough you know his his arm hit it and uh, busted the lock and knocked his elbow numb it's probably bleeding a little bit you know his curiosity gets better of him and he, he pulls it open and inside is this almost shimmering black suit even though there's there's not a lot of light coming in from from up there from the hole that he fell in but he takes it and you know, carries it up the steps, and uh, he he looked around in the in the chest, and there was there was nothing else in there. So he carries it outside and looks it over, and it's a strange material he's never seen before. And he sticks his hand in it, and uh, to, you know, kind of spread it out and examine it and everything. And he just he feels this compulsion as soon as he puts his hand in it that he just got to try this thing on. And he, he, he puts it on and, you know, it's real tight fitting. And for some, you know, amazingly, it's, it's just his size and he's kind of looking and, and, you know, checking it out. And all of a sudden these gloves and boots and this big scarf starts to materialize and, um, he kind of, he, he walks over to a, a puddle on the ground and looks and there's a, there's this helmet and it's got this big look wing kind of structure on the helm on the the sides of it. it it's you know he, he's staring in disbelief like this is this is what he's he's wanted you know so he doesn't know what this thing is this this super suit he supposes uh, you know as he's looking it, it starts to kind of change this mental image of this suit that he's always had in his mind it's got these real light armor plates and it's this blue and silver uh, and white highlights and um, it's kind of like the the cheesy uh, superhero Power Rangers-esque shows he saw as a kid, uh, you know, that he would get up early Saturday mornings and, and watch, you know, he'd adjust the rabbit ears on their their shitty, um, you know, tiny television as one of the three channels that they got. Um, but he goes back into the building and immediately begins to start testing the limits of the suit he seems to start to become hyper aware of of his surroundings when the helmet's on and the helmet almost has like a um, psychic on off switch he thinks you know if he, he wants the helmet off it, it it comes off or if he wants it on it comes on and uh, he's definitely more 
agile and, and stronger. You know, he, he starts testing things and he, he quickly finds out almost hernia inducing that he does not have the suit does not grant him super strength, but he definitely is uh, stronger in it. You know, he 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 gathers himself, he gathers his courage and, you know, kind of takes a, a dive off the rafters and the suit protects him like he still gets pretty, pretty banged up. But, um, you know, he, he's impressed. He, th- he thinks that maybe he can make the sink or Stringersburg in general a, a better place. So that night... He's, he's going to go out on, on patrol and check everything out. And um, surprisingly enough, his, his, his bruised ribs uh, from where he took the, the header off the rafters is, is way better. You know, it's just some, some slight, uh, you know, it's slightly green now. And he goes out and, you know, he stops a, a robbery or two, you know, a couple of, a couple of muggings. He, he kind of, he makes it dramatic. He comes up with the name, the Cerulean Sentinel on the, the very first night just kind of comes to him and he, he likes it. You know, he thinks it's pretty catchy. And so every night that he possibly can, you know, days, anything you know he he goes out and he patrols and slowly all of his part-time jobs start to go by the wayside and you know he's he probably at this point he's down to one enough to pay the absolute necessity on his his bills so that's pretty much what he does he he spent a year doing this and like like i said before he he'll start to go to the library or he'll be at the library and he'll start to Google himself, you know, Cerulean Sentinel, but nothing comes up initially. And before he can really get into searching, he reminds himself that that's, that's not why he's doing this. That's not the, the purpose. Like if people are talking about him and are appreciating him and that's, that's great, but he doesn't he doesn't need to know he wants to know he he really does but he's trying to be better than that and, you know he figures if he does a good enough job other heroes are going to come and find him and you know the suit i'm i'm going to skip out of kind of narration and go into mechanics the suit gives you know people still have short term memories of him and also he's he's been compelled to not take the suit off like he wears it all the time and that's the reason why his friends and and the people that are close to him are starting to forget about him you, you know he's moved out and he thinks that he's protecting all the people close to him but you know the, the longer he wears it uh, the more of uh, effects that the suit has of removing him from their uh, memories and whatnot. You know, they still remember going out and doing things with this guy, but they're, was it this guy? Was it this person? Uh, who was it? But they, you know, they remember the event of it happening with someone. They just can't specifically nail down who. Same thing when he, you know, stops a, a criminal. 
Um, you know, people remember that a superhero or some, you know, some super-powered individual or somebody stopped this criminal, but they can't, the, 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 it slips through their mind, except for the people that can be targeted, can or will be targeted by the March of History. The suits, um, Jinx power, like his probability control allows him to pretty much no matter what, be average at something, unless he's got a good amount of skills or something like that. But the Jinx power is also permanent. So whoever he touches, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, the suit is powered by ambient, ambiently consuming uh, fate from people or objects or... Um, just the world in general, but the Jinx power actively causes someone to have a bad turn of luck, a bad turn of fate. A lot of it's supposed to be luck, but I'm just going to use fate as the term because that's kind of the theme we're going with. And he's, he's not aware that it does this. He saved people and, you know, like grabbed their hand and pulled them, pulled them over a, a ledge. And then, you know, as they're getting up, they trip on something and, and chip a tooth or, uh, you know, some twist of misbegotten fate affects them really quickly after he's, he's touched an individual. And if he was aware of this, you know, he could probably use it to, to fuck up some bad guys and, you know, it would cause all kinds of problems personally. But, you know, he doesn't know the history of this suit, which I'm going to get into soon. He, oh, uh, the, that, that's it. Um, he thinks that this Jinx power is actually a secret nemesis, someone who was after the suit that he hasn't been able to track down because a lot of times people he saves have this weird bad stuff happen to them. Shortly after, you know, he'll he'll go and check on some people, um, you know, a day or two afterwards, and he'll see that, you know, something weird and fucked up has happened. So he he's not good at interrogation, but he tries to interrogate some of the villains he's fought. Um, he's not really run into anybody major yet, you know, maybe like one trick ponies or. Um, small would-be villains it's mostly mostly deals with just street guys um he's probably broke up a couple of drug rings um in the sink the strike power of the suit is just fate guiding him to hit someone in the most uh, opportune spot the you know their weak point or um catching them off balance but the suit was made by an ancient wizard from the beginning of time in the far future. So yeah, that's supposed to be as confusing as that sounds. But uh, the suit was intended, the, the wizard found out that he was going to be killed uh, through divination by the, the March of History. So he 
through a long, complicated process when he was outside time and space, created this suit uh, to make him invisible to the march of history, not necessarily the wielder, but the weapon itself. But he never got to wear it because the wielder, the, the weapon found him before he was able to use it, and the suit has been lost um, through time and space. And maybe other people have had it, maybe not. I'm going to leave that to you um, because if someone else had ever worn this, no one would ever know. Or maybe, uh, you know, Morgan is supposed to be the intended wielder. Maybe somehow his fate and its were tied together. But he's run into um, a few other heroes, and, and no one's quite remembered him. But I'd like to think that he's maybe run into one or two people, maybe, maybe either normal people, superheroes, supervillains, uh, that, that have remembered him. If you want to come up with them... I'm, I'm not going to worry about it because I'm okay with him just being completely obscured. But if, uh, yeah, some of these people have come up, then uh, feel free to. But I've rambled on for uh, approximately forever. Well, you sure know how to make a guy sound heroic, Drusifer. He's a bum. <laughs> No, I think that's a, this is a great uh, way to start off for young Morgan. So I want to do a prelude-y kind of bit first and then move into the main plotline that I have in mind. When we get to the main plotline, I want to structure it in days. Part of that is because media is going to play a big part of it. And so I figure, like, I'll start each recording with the morning's headlines or something to that effect. Now, obviously, we can wiggle a little bit if we need to, but I'd like to do it. I'd like for us to both come into this with the idea that each recording or each, um, like, set of recordings, my initial prompt and your response, constitute a day. Let's just think of it in terms of, like, one day at a time. Uh, without getting into any hilarious Hannibal Burris jokes. So um, we'll get to that. But in the, in the meantime, b before we get to that, I wanted to uh, address the friendship with Paku Paku the sentient fish. And we had also thought of maybe another character from the list popping up, so I wanted to bring that in as well. Um, all right, so... Paku Paku is the name that this uh, slowly evolving intelligent goldfish chose for itself. I think it... He doesn't really understand how language works yet in a at least not in a conventional way so a lot of the verbal utterances that he makes telepathically are just word-like sounds so he picked Paku Paku because he likes the way it sounds and sometimes when he's talking to Morgan he lapses into 
onomatopoeic gibberish or, or, you know, glossolalia type stuff. He'll, you know, be sending him messages about what's going on in the water and then throw in just like a blue, 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 blue kind of, you know, just, he'll just, he just litters his speech such as it is with purely sonic, uh, pseudo words. Um, and I imagine Morgan would try to like roll with that a bit, but also sort of gently convey that like that's not really how it's supposed to work. But uh, Paku Paku is unperturbed by this and just continues. Um, so one of the things that happens in the sink during this time is as Paku Paku is getting larger, which it seems to be, he seems to be, he's exploring more and more of the sink. He's becoming more and more confident. Uh, Coming from a prey species, he began his superhero career, if we can call it that, uh, first in a sort of spasm of anger, like you described, like, this isn't a bigger ball. Uh, Just sort of like you know, crashing the biggest waves he could create into things, just sort of like becoming like a like a brief period of being vengeful. But after that, he sort of lapsed back into like, ah, I'm a tiny fish in an unfamiliar area and uh, was sort of happy to have Morgan's guidance, um, even his protection in a way. But since then, Paku Paku has been growing at a rate that might be described as alarming. He seems to spend a lot of time securing and consuming the best possible food. He seems to be trying to make himself bigger and stronger, and he's succeeding pretty well. Like, Morgan will go a few days without seeing him. He'll be, like, on a case. He'll have seen somebody commit some crime, and he'll, like, be tracking them down, come back a few days later and see Paku Paku and be like, Jesus Christ, he's twice the size he was before. So as as Paku Paku's getting bigger, he's getting more confident, and he's exploring more obscure areas of the sink, sort of moving the water around his body with his newfound capabilities, and, like, using that to sort of finagle himself into spaces that he otherwise might not be able to. So... Morgan finds himself one day walking along the bank of the river as evening falls. Things have deteriorated in terms of his like ability to maintain social connections with other human beings to the point that he can walk down the street in broad daylight in his suit and people's eyes just slide right off him. Something in their minds chooses to ignore the figure that they see. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's just not their destiny to notice him, but he can he can feel pretty grim about it if he wants to, because it sort of implies that he'll never talk to another person again. 
But anyway, he's walking alongside the river one evening when a sort of familiar churn in the water alerts him to the presence of his friend, the fish. And Paku Paku mind speaks to him. A sort of jumbled, fearful, ner- uh, just a sort of blur of images. It's like, it's like, Naguwasu, blue man blue, green and dripping, and out of nowhere, and man but not man, and Morgan help, Morgan help, not a man but a man, blue dripping, not alive but alive. Something along those lines. Uh, So I presume Morgan would start to investigate this, you know, backtrack with him. Where were you? What are you talking about? You know, where were you when you saw it? Blah, blah, blah. So we can sort of, you can, you know, weigh in on this, but um, this is an occult matter. And so at some point, Roland Eckes, Roland from the list, gets involved. He is an occult detective, uh, which is a totally original concept that no one's ever fucked with before. Uh, But Roland would come along, and the only things that I want to be sure we include are the fact that Roland can see him and remember him with no problem. Um, He is not hostile in any way, although he is wary. You get the you could Morgan would get the sense pretty quickly that Roland is like trying to not have any kind of physical confrontation. Um, the other thing is that this ghostly figure is called the Sailor. There is something of a nautical uh, theme to its appearance, although it can look almost like an elemental, like it's just a humanoid shape made of water. Um, On closer inspection, there are humanoid features. And essentially what's happened is that Paku Paku's investigations of the sink have stirred up something that was buried slash submerged for a long time. Some object or place that this being is tied to, and now it begins to manifest, and in its pain and grief, it is doing unpleasant things in the sink. It starts off just by scaring people, it just wanders around the neighborhood, and when it sees people, it tries to speak to them. They run away screaming, it starts screaming in return. First, because it's like startled, but then because it's angry, no one will talk to it. Then it starts lashing out. Um, Maybe it and Paku Paku tangled. If they did, there's a moment of uh, strangeness for Paku Paku in the sense that both it and the, the sailor 
have water control power, and so they would have, like, struggled for control of the same um, current or, or, you know, however we want to think of it. One of them would have reached out to try and control the water, and the other one would have opposed it, and neither of them was expecting that sort of thing. So there's some sort of preliminary story with... Morgan meeting Roland, the occult detective. Morgan and Paku Paku, and maybe Roland, maybe not, working together to confront this ghost, this thing that people instinctively call the sailor, possibly because it has aspects of a uniform in its appearance or possibly because of some other symbol. Um, That's what I have to start with. I know that's quite loose, but um, hit me back with your ideas around that, and then we'll get started with the main story.